Good afternoon, everyone. Today's talk is with our good friend, Joey Beltrade, who is the current World Heavyweight Bare Knuckle Champion, as well as the Police Gazette World Heavyweight Champion. He's a veteran of UFC, Bellator, just an incredible uh, individual. And so we are looking forward to talking to him about everything Bare Knuckle and his background. So I hope you guys enjoy. Thank you. So, uh, Joey, it's great to have you on the uh, talk today. How you guys? How you doing today? I'm doing well. Um, you know, just cruising, just heading over to uh, my training session. Um, you know, just business as usual. How has COVID kind of affected your training and mindset with everything going on? <clears throat> you know, I mean, honestly, like the first couple weeks, I was like real cautious and kind of like for lack of better terms, kind of spooked. And then after a while, I was like, um, I don't know. <laughs> and I was like, just business as usual. I just kind of had to fly under the radar as far as, like, training at gyms and stuff. Because there's always, there's always gyms that are open, you know. You just kind of right. like, walk in the side door. <laughs> there are... like, to train with the lights off, stuff like that. <laughs> it was kind of weird the beginning of March with – a lot of these gyms are being forced to close and they're small businesses. It was kind of weird seeing people kind of rat on people for working out or trying to stay healthy. It's just a weird, weird couple of months. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's silly. Uh, I have a couple of gyms that pop in my mind over, over, over an ocean side. It's like literally down the street from me. Um, you know, Metroflex was just like a traditional, like old school Gold's gym type place, like just weightlifting. And uh, Ten Planet Jiu Jitsu, they they got people calling the cops on them that aren't even at the gym. Like a lady, a lady that lives in a, in a condo across the street from the gym is calling the cops on them because, like, you're not even going to the gym. Like, what do you care? Right. But you know, I mean, I, I it's just this thing is just affected so many people in so many different ways. Some people, some people are just flat out spooked. Right. It's yeah. cool. It's cool to kind of see. Uh, like UFC, the Fight Island. It's kind of cool to see at least you guys out there, kind of still competing, giving. I mean, everyone who doesn't love sports, so it's kind of cool to see you guys still out there and kind of doing that stuff. Absolutely, absolutely. So, how did you get started into the whole kind of fighting lifestyle like that? <clears throat> well, I mean, I, I started off shoot originally. I, I boxed. I boxed when I was about 10 years old. Um, all the older kids in my apartment complex, like my friends, older brothers and stuff, were going and training boxing at this place. Uh, it was called the uh, Join Hands Save a Life um, Community Center. It was basically like a guy is just training, just training kids, in, uh, training kids in the bar, you know, just training for free, giving us uh, an alternative other than running the streets. And um, yeah, so. Uh, I begged and begged for like a year straight, and finally my mom let me go, and I turned ten. And so then I did that for a while, and, and right off, you know, I was ten years old, and I was I was big. So I mean, I was ten years old, and I had to spar like fifteen and sixteen year olds. And then once I was like a teenager, I was sparring like grownups. You know, so I was used to like, boom, like taking big shots and like having to deal with that sort of power, um, <clears throat> you know. So. I did that for a while, and then once I got to high school, I played traditional sports like boxing, I'm sorry, like wrestling and football, 
and I was uh, I was not so good at football, but I, I, I had fun. All my friends played. And then uh, wrestling, though, I was, wrestling was my thing. Like, the one-on-one combat sports was always my thing. You had the Greco-Robot background, right, for that? Yeah, yeah, I did that through all through high school. Um, yeah, so I did that for about four years. What were, you doing the, what were you doing with the street fights? Is that when you're older, or? Oh, when was I fighting in the streets? Yeah. Uh, when I was younger, when I was young, I, I got kicked out. I got kicked out of junior high. I was just running amok. Uh, you know, I, I gave my poor mom a lot of heart, a lot of headaches. You know, right. I was, uh, you know, single, raised by a single mother and just angry and mad all the time and, all, and obvious reasons. And and so I was, yeah, man, I was run. And also too, like it's kind of weird the way it worked out. You know, like being a professional fighter, like. You know, sometimes people think like, "Oh, if you're a big guy, like, oh, people don't mess with you." Like, no, it was opposite in my neighborhood. Like, I was the biggest guy, and people always wanted to like get off on my face, like, just to like prove how tough they were. Right. So, you know, so I did. I lost. I got my ass whipped a couple times, but I definitely won more than I lost in the streets. And uh, so, you know, and then once I went to, so I got kicked out of junior high, and I went to high school. I, I calmed down because I was like, I don't want to get kicked out of school again. And then, yeah, you know, once I got out of high school and started going to parties and going to bars and stuff like that, yeah, I picked up. So <laughs> I was like, pretty good at this stuff. Maybe I should do it for money. Who were you watching growing up? Like, who were some of the fighters of, like, UFC or Bellator and stuff? Oh, man. I mean, honestly, like, I remember watching the first UFC, like, and my brother, it was at my brother-in-law's, well, he was just my sister's boyfriend back then. But now he's my brother-in-law. My brother is at my brother-in-law's house. Um, and we're watching like on a little, like, little dinky TV in the back, but they rent, they got the pay-per-view. And I just remember watching it the first time and thinking like, wow, like, why are these fights so fast? <laughs> like, why are they so fast? It's so weird how this, this this fucking little guy's just choking everybody so fast. <laughs> right. And, um, you know, and so it was like, I remember being so bummed when the big Somali, the big sumo guy got hit. Everybody, I always cheered for the big guys. I wanted the big guys win. Yeah, that fight, I think I watched that fight every week, and it's so insane how that guy kind of opened all to him to bring it down. Yeah. Oh, yeah. So... so I've been watching. I've literally been watching since day one. Um, when I got older, I remember I had a VHS. Uh, I had Tito versus guy. Tito versus guy Mesger. I used to watch a lot. Of course, like just Tito coming out with the with the Mexican flag. Like I just identified right away. I gravitated. Oh, I want. I want that guy to win. Right. And like, I liked his attitude. How he like talks shit. And he would flip off like the lions then. I liked that stuff. And. Uh, like I said, the early guy Mesger fights, uh, Tito versus uh, guy uh, Evan Tanner. I had that VHS, and I would just watch those VHSs over and over and over again. Watch all the fights, and uh, so early on, yeah, Tito. I was a big fan of Tito. It was it difficult to kind of transition your anger and what your emotions were into the fight because there is a lot of control, and you do have to have some sort of. Like, you just can't go out there and start to blaze it. You have to be prepared. So was it tough for you to kind of put that together? 
I mean, in, in many ways, like, early on in my, like, when I started, like, fighting and compete, actually competing, like, I, I would have, I would go in there with, like, a, I would have, um, I would work on all these skills and all these, like, refining my techniques throughout the whole training camp, and then, like, I would get so fucking scared in the back and, like, freak myself out, like, in the back, like, oh, my God, oh, my God, oh, my God, oh, my God. And then once I would get out there, like, I would freeze, like, under the lights, like, oh, shit, oh, shit, until I started getting hit. Boom. And I got hit hard a couple times, and I'm like, fuck this. And I would, re- like, react <laughs> and just start, start scrapping like I was in the streets. And so, you know, like, and that's what I became known for, especially, like, in the UFC, like, just these crazy brawls and, and I got like notoriety with the fans respect by my peers and stuff but in my head after I'm like that's fucked I fucked up like I didn't do anything I worked on right and um, you know so in a way like my anger and, my, and, and stuff like that would serve me early on it wasn't honestly until like recently the last couple of years that I've been able to like really zero in on the mental aspect of the fighting and, and you know, I mean, the results are the result. The proof is in the pudding, man. It's going good, so. Right. So you've kind of fought everyone from Quinton Rampage, Houston, uh, Rose Gracie, even the current champion, Stipe. Is there, was there ever a time as you, you kind of you get in the ring with them, you're kind of like, holy shit, I'm fighting someone that literally billions of people look up to. Is there, was it ever, I mean, obviously it's got to be surreal at first, right? Um, it wasn't like I never like oh like like nerded out over these guys like, oh my god like right it would, be, it would be more like on the side of like I was going through a lot of internal battles like like with everything going on in my personal life with like drugs and alcohol and my failed marriage and everything I'm like you're a, I was like you're a piece of shit man. and now this yep. guy can fuck you up and you deserve it. Like, you're going to get fucked up right now. And I'm like, that's the internal monologue I was having with myself. It was really bad. And like I said, like, once, so I'd go out and I'm like, oh shit, oh shit, oh shit. And then, like, once I would start getting hit, I'm like, I would react like like a street fight. And like, ah, and put on these crazy brawls. But like I said earlier, I was like, ah, damn it. I would like freeze up and not really perform any of my techniques. Right. So leading up to a fight, depending on who it is. Are you playing out that fight with your head? Obviously, you kind of know their fighting styles, who their coaches are. But how, how much goes into planning specifically for that fight? Are you planning to knock out quick or, hey, if this fight's got to go three rounds? Well, now, as far as my mental process, I try to map out mentally and visualize multiple multiple paths to victory. Um, you know, whether, whether visualizing, like, you know, the perfect the perfect knockout shot in early on in the fight or you know being being you know prepared you know as far as my cardio to, to go out and, and have a five round grind, you know. These are these are these are all things that I go over in my head, you know, for a couple months leading up to the fight. Um <clears throat> you know, whether or not who, who at this point it doesn't really matter who I'm fighting. Like I'm so zeroed in on what it, it doesn't matter who my opponent is. I'm so zeroed in on just making myself the most dangerous version of myself possible. That you know they're gonna have to deal with me. 
Right. I don't, really, I don't really give a fuck who they are. They're having to deal with me. And, you know, especially in, in the new rule set that I'm fighting on, you know, bare knuckle fighting championship, I, I definitely feel like this. <laughs> it's going to take someone real special out there to, to beat me in my, in my, in my game. Right. It's, but you never really got into the trash talking aspect of it. I know in today's day and age with marketing, that kind of helps sell a fight. Do you think there's a place for it? I always be like, I take things too personally. Like, if you talk shit to me, like, we're not going to make it to the ring. We're not going to make it to the fight. I'll swing on you in real life. Like, I, I, I don't like that. That's it. That is my that is your answer. No, I, don't, I don't like it. I don't like it. I, I'm too sensitive. <laughs> right. If you talk shit, like, oh, well, then you're going to get hit. You see some of those fighters, not today, names, but it's like they already have a great fighting. But I, and I get why you have to sell the fight. It just seems like you're more, you yourself are very humble and you let your skill speak for itself. You know, I mean, it's one of those things, once again, it's like, I'm in the right place at the right time with, with my sport that I'm in now. It's like, I don't really think too much needs to go into selling the fight. Like, you know, you're showing what you're showing up for. You're showing up to a bare knuckle fight. You're showing up for maximum violence. You're showing up for blood. You're showing up for huge dashes over people's eyes. Like, I don't really think we really need to talk that much shit. Right. You know, some people got to do it to hype themselves up. Okay, I get that at some point. But, you know, I'm almost 40 years old. I've been doing this a long time. Like, I know that when they say go, somebody's going to try to freaking break my face. So I don't need to hype myself up much more than that. And what, what, like, at what point were you like, okay, I'm done kind of with, like, the UFC Bellator stuff. How do you transition to bare knuckle? It seems, yes, well, the sports bar bare, but bare knuckle seems just, it's insane. Well, the thing is, like, I, uh, I went through some really rough times not to, a couple of years back, and I was actually in rehab. I went and spent four months at a rehab center in Escondido. Shout out to the Fellowship Center, man. If you if you're in North County San Diego, they're the best. And I went there and got my got my act together for a little while. And then when I was there, uh, I started training again, and 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 started getting like I was a little I was pretty heavy. I was like 285, and I got started started getting back in shape. And then one of my old managers hit me up. He's like, hey, how you doing, champ? You in shape? I was like, ah, yeah, of course. <laughs> always, always. And then he's like, your name keeps coming up out here in Russia a lot. I've been doing work with Brandon Halsey, and, and these Russian guys really like you. I'm like, oh, okay, we'll see what they say. And then, like, a month goes by, and I hear nothing. And then he hit me up randomly. And, and uh, he's like, hey, five weeks. Sergey Karatanov. Are you ready? I was like, fuck yeah, let's go. <laughs> and I basically like went from, I, at the time I was just doing like spin class at 24 Hour Fitness. I wasn't really like training or anything. I'm not like fight training. So then I just got ready. Just got ready as ready as I could in five weeks. Went out to Russia, fought Sergey, went, went uh, all three rounds, like had a great fight, busted him up. Uh, pretty good, and I lost the decision. But I was like, okay, I, I still got it. I still got some in the tank. Leading up to that, it had been like 17 months since I had fought. Right. 
So after doing that, I was like, okay, I, I want to fight. I want to keep fighting. And then, what are the? Uh, and then so what are the training? But I couldn't like. At that point, like I was cut from Bellator. I hadn't fought in the United States in a long time in MMA, and I couldn't like. I for whatever reason I couldn't get a fight. I could not get a fight, an MMA fight, and um, not in the regional scene or anything like where you need to do to like rebuild yourself to get get the call back. Right. And so, one of my old coaches from Alliance, Eric Del Fioro, he hit me up. He kind of almost jokingly, he's like, "Hey, uh, I'm working with Beck, and and these bare knuckle guys, they're interested in you. You wouldn't want to do that, would you?" And I was like, "Ah, yeah, why not? Fuck it, I'm not doing anything right now." <laughs> And then, and, then, and then he called me back. He's like, they want to fight. They want you to fight Tony Lopez. I'm like, oh, sign me up. Let's fucking go. I'll fight that guy for free. So I'm you not- fought him at UFC, right? Or a previous? I fought him at King of the Cage. Right, right. Leading up to the UFC. It's Where all- are the Yeah, that was that. So that's how that happened. It was basically because of, cause of, honestly, because of Beck. Like if Rowdy Beck wasn't, wasn't, wasn't being pursued by them, I might not be the world champion right now, so. What are the rules for bare knuckle fighting? It's labor's term, if you could kind of explain it. It's basically boxing, boxing, but you can punt, you can you can fight as long as you have um, one hand free. You can fight in the clinch, so I can dirty box. In MMA terms, I can dirty box the hell out of people. And what I can kind of? I can grab them behind their head. Grab their arm, grab their wrist, pull their head down, and punch. Like it's like I said, it's tailor made for my style. And what do you wrap your hands with? You don't wrap your hand. You don't, the rule is the tape okay. has to be uh, two inches under your knuckles. So you can wrap your. I wrap the hell out of my wrist because my. I've always uh, in my career I've had trouble with my wrist, never with my hands or my knuckles. So. It's always been my wrist, so that's cool. I just wrap my wrist, tape them, tape them up, and go out there. Was it difficult mentally to prepare for this? Since there is more of a aggression towards it, like there has to be a little different mindset, right? I mean, after like the first one, like the first one was like stepping into the unknown. You know, I was like. I mean, like I said, once again, I've been in fucking, I've been in plenty of street fights, right. so I know what it feels like to get hit with a fist, and that's that was not foreign to me. Um, but I mean, it was just like, all right, here we go, we're fighting, and then like before you know it, like he's covered in blood, and then like after I don't know, I'm now we're both just covered in blood and just in this swinging, crowds going crazy. It was, it was, it was a beautiful thing that first fight. Um, <coughs> second fight. Um, once again, I kind of like had the same approach. Like, oh, I'm gonna, I'm gonna hit you more than you're gonna hit me, and I'm gonna win. You know, and, right? But unfortunately, like, boom! Like, look, first round, this big scar right here got split wide open, and and I was able to make it to the fourth round before the ref and the doctor finally stopped the fight. So after that, I was like, well, shit, man, I really need to rethink <coughs> this. Man. If I'm gonna have any kind of longevity in the sport, you know. So I really, really, really focus on my head, my head movement, cutting angles, um, and and my defense as far as like my hand placement and everything, and really focus on the game of bare knuckle boxing. 
Um, and, uh, and I've done really well ever since. You know, I haven't lost since that second fight and haven't had any stitches after the fight. So I'm doing something, right? Is there a fear of CTE or injuries like that now? Or how do you kind of – obviously, you're a fighter, but there must be a fear of – you see some of these fighters be like the CTE or crazy uh, injuries after they retire. I mean, honestly, like, by the time CTE became very prevalent in the media and, and, and was out there, like, a, as a story and everything like that, I had already been fighting for years. Right. There's no, you can't go back. You can't go back and race those hits. And then, like, they say, some of the people say, like, oh, CTE can develop as far as high school. Well, shit, check that out. Because I, <laughs> I played a year of high, I played high school, and I played a year of uh, junior college ball. So... There's that, you know, I mean, honestly, like, but as far as like bare knuckle itself being a higher risk of CTE, like if anything, like, like, no, man, you don't, you can't hit nearly as hard. Maybe once or you, you crack somebody full speed, full power on their head, your hand's done. Your hand is going to be done. And you, and so there's a lot more technique that goes into this game as far as like hand placement like punch play, punch placement body work technique and stuff like that so I mean like to give you an, to give you an idea like when I went and I fought Sergey Karatanov out in Russia and we went all three rounds and we had our hands taped and gloved like I was in bed for like two weeks after that fight when I got home from Russia like it was bad it was bad and then like every fight that I've had in bare knuckle, like I'll get home on Sunday and go to work on Monday, you know, so it's like I'll have like some cuts or scratches whatever, but it's not nearly as far as like as big of a boom as you get on your head, so Right. When you're training for a fight, do you actually receive blows from your team? Are they, are they physically hit you so you don't feel, lose that kind of feeling? Or are you just so preconditioned where it's like you know what it feels like to be punched in the face? So I'll, I'll do um, when we spar. We spar with sixteen ounce gloves, like traditional boxing sparring, sixteen ounce gloves and headgear. Um, about once a week, I'll just do to really raise zero on my foot on my on my defense. I'll do uh, a few rounds and move around with uh, my partner. Will have MMA gloves, and I'll just block with with uh, with my hands, with my bare hands, like I would in the fight, and just to like really get an idea of like moving my head. But you can kind of get comfortable, like, parrying punches and stuff with your big gloves that you're not going to be able to do, you know, barehanded. So. Right. That, but as far as, like, the training, that's really the only special thing that I do. And then <clears throat> every couple weeks, I'll, I'll do, like, a mitt session with no, with no gloves. Or I'll do bag work with no gloves. But for the most part, I don't – but me personally, I know other people do different stuff. But, like, me personally, like, I baby my hands – Leading up to the fight, like I wear like these gel protectors that uh, made by a company called Skoltech, and I wear these gel protectors on my knuckles leading up to the fight. And so, you know, the first time shit hits the fan in the actual fight, like that's when my hands are getting, you know, because I want to save them. That's my right. Life. I don't want to have any trauma leading up to leading up to the actual fight. That's like I said, some people do weird shit like punch poles. And, <laughs> do the wood breaking and all that shit, but I right, blood sport, right. 
So, if do you think there's a chance this sport can kind of go mainstream, or is it too kind of too kind of barbaric to kind of scare people off? I mean, the thing is, is we live in a barbaric world. No, hundred percent. And so, I think as more as as more and more of the world becomes conservative, per se, like they have a more and more of a desire to see like violence, <laughs> like the type of violence that we're producing. Right. And like I said, I mean, I mean, a lot of the times, like when the fights are promoted, they obviously they have to use like a big eclipse to get, you know, the clickbait, if you will, like with all the crazy bloody wars and stuff like that. You know, because that's what gets the initial reaction. That's what gets people to do the double take. Like, well, what the hell is that? Right. You know, but like I said, if you watch a show or you watch a fight, like, it's so technical and so, like, so much strategy that goes into it. Especially, I love it when you see, like, somebody who has pro boxing fights, like a pro boxing record, fight an MMA guy in bare knuckles. Like, they're meeting a neutral ground. Like, okay, now we're going to find out who, who's the best fighter. Right. Because it's like, you know, you can't really, it's, it's so many things you can do in boxing you can't do in bare knuckles. You can't get away with, like, you know, post you floating around and like hiding behind your jab, you know, because someone's just gonna rush your ass and crack you. Right. I mean, I, I mean, I to answer to answer your question, I think so, man. I think the way that society's going, like, yeah, it's going good. Now, it is kind of cool. ESPN, they recently, they, you are visually. Um, I definitely find you in different places now than I would a couple of months ago. And it was kind of cool where I think Paige Van Zandt just signed to your. Uh, promotion as well after she left UFC. So it's kind of cool seeing someone like her jump over. It's, it's just very fascinating that people are really joining, like getting into what you guys are doing. Yeah, I mean, I, that's definitely a big a big uh, something positive for our promotion. You know, I welcome I welcome her because I know that she's just going to bring bring a lot to eyes when she finally steps, when she finally toes the line, you know, it's going to be a big deal. Right. And, um, you know, her and Shannon Briggs ever actually fights, um, you know, there's some big names that are coming over. So it, it's just, like I said, man, it's good for the promotion. It's good for me. That's great. You also have a background with jujitsu. How does that kind of help you with bare knuckle fighting? Uh, well, like, a little bit, like, considering, like, the hand-fighting aspect and the, the upright, like, the grappling, like I said, the, the inside the inside hand-fighting, all the little nuances that go on when you're up against the fan, up against the, uh, the ropes in the, in, the, in the squared circle. So, yeah, man, every, it's, it's, like, all the training, whether it's been, like, Muay Thai or, or Jiu-Jitsu, all my training that I did all those years in, in MMA, like, really just, <laughs> it all came full circle because I can use... A lot of it, obviously, I can't kick people, but I mean, like, right, my little my clinches, my little jerks and shoves with the head and stuff like that, getting people off balance and the striking. This shit's all coming back into play. Right. You're also the world heavyweight police gazette champion. Now, that's an incredible, this is an awesome history with that, especially like the old school posters and magazine covers. What does it feel like to be part of history like that? Oh man, I mean, obviously it's it's a huge honor, and it's yeah. Man. One thing, one thing to be the, the the BKFC heavyweight champ, 
but then to be like the historically recognized bare knuckle boxing champion is just something that you know I'll never you know when I'm older and uh, people will you know I can be able to show like my my grandkids and stuff like that so it's it's pretty cool. Yeah, uh, I, I I recently looked up an old picture like the original. And then to see yours now, it's so cool. I mean, that belt is badass. Yeah. Hell yeah. Absolutely. As you get older, what are you able to kind of, kind of tell yourself that, hey, I can retire, or are you going to have that kind of fighting urge to just kind of keep going out? I always say, man, I'll retire when I suck. <laughs> like, I'm still waiting, right. like... I'm still waiting for someone to really just, like, beat my ass and just, like, put me in my place. Like, all right, old man, you're done. Right. You know, and I'm sure it will happen one day. But until then, like, I'm going to keep swinging. I know I can't do it forever, but I know for damn sure I can do it right now. So Right. I see a lot of people are kind of like, well, Tyson, Roy Jones, but and you're like, well, they're too old. Well, if they still have that fighting spirit, they still put the, the training behind it, I don't see anything that's wrong with it. It's just very fascinating. Yeah, I mean, that, that fight, so I'm going to watch. <laughs> right. Uh, a lot of people are going to watch that show. Now, so, true or false here, your nickname someone gave you was the Executioner? Yeah. Now, yeah. how'd you get that? Oh, uh, you know, my, my, my friend, uh, old training partner, his name was Eddie Sanchez. He's an old UFC veteran himself. We were training together way back in the day, and we just... He was tossing around a couple, I tossed around a couple ideas, and then he just looked at me one day with a twinkle in his eye. He said, "You know what? You're the executioner. I like it." And then, uh, yeah, people liked it and stuck. It's great marketing potential for sure. I mean, obviously you use it, but it's, it is cool. It is cool. Yeah. So, what are you getting into now? What's your next fight? And what's currently going on with you? Um. I mean, right now everything's tentative because uh, we're all at the at the at the mercy of the coronavirus. So I don't like to announce stuff until like I have paperwork and everything. But tentatively, it's looking like I'm returning back in September. But like I said, I mean, everything's like so right. like up in the air with coronavirus. So I don't want to get my hopes up too well. But I'm definitely been getting ready. Like, we were supposed to fight in July. Like, I pushed back to August. Now they're telling me it's September. But I'm looking at it like, yeah, it's just going to be really bad for whoever I fought because I've been training consistently the whole time. Like I said, I was ready to fight in July. And I was ready to fight this month. So by September, it's going to be really, really bad for whoever I fight. And is there a weight class you're in? I know you're heavyweight, but is there a cutoff for being too heavy or too small? Uh, I believe it's like 205, 265. They kind of use the same the same ones as MMA. But I know like in boxing, boxing like heavyweight's unlimited. So I don't know. Every time I've gotten the contract, though, it said 265 on it. So right. I just got to stick to that. So if someone comes up to you, your kids, your friends, or whoever, like, hey, I want to do bare knuckle boxing. What is where are a couple things you're gonna tell them before they even think about doing it? <laughs> you better try some normal boxing. <laughs> yeah. I love, I love that. Well, I want to thank you, Joey, for the talk today. Um, 
again, you watching your highlights, especially on your social media, I it's very inspiring. And uh, I hope you do get to fight September and kick some ass. Thank you, man. I appreciate that. I appreciate the support. So, awesome. Good luck and be safe. Thank you. Do, did, will. The Story of People podcast is now available on the Cryer Media Network. The first five episodes are here and feature some incredible guests that fit into one or all three of those categories. Ready? Tara Sloan from the San Jose Sharks, Undercurrent Podcast at NBC Sports. Marianne Iveson from Iveson Voice and the Let's Take This Outside podcast to talk about the world of outdoors as well as voiceover land. Ariana Hunsicker, future Canadian Paralympic swimmer, already winning tons of awards for this country. Scott McGregor from the Hot Wallet podcast to dumb down the world of crypto, Bitcoin, and NFTs so you don't have to. And Jackie Holowaty from Climate Pledge Arena in Seattle, Washington, the first net zero carbon certified arena on the planet. Wherever you get your pods, wherever you watch your pods, and on the Cryer Media Network. It's said that the more time you have to invest, the greater the return. Well, guess what? Kids have the most time if we learn to invest early. That's why I created the Cash Kid Podcast, where I teach kids and some adults financial skills they need to know on how to earn, save, and invest their money. Join me on this journey as we interview experts and explore topics that allow you to grow your money as kids. Just remember, anyone can be a Cash Kid. You just have to learn how to become one. Get ready to grow your financial knowledge and your wallet with the Cash Kid Podcast. That's right. Find us at thecashkidpodcast.com or listen in on places like Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music, Spotify, or YouTube.